To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, flee the evil desires of youth, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. As a young Christian, uh, there was a hero that I had in the faith. His name was Howard Hendricks. And the first time I ever had a chance to hear him speak live, he shared a little bit about how the Christian life is like a marathon. It's not a sprint. It takes guts to finish the Christian life and to finish it well. And so as I was listening to that message, I decided that I was going to add to my bucket list, I'm going to run a marathon, not smart. Did you know how far a marathon is? But I decided that because I wasn't really a runner, I just said I've only got three goals that I'm going to have for this race. One is that I just want to finish. I just want to finish the race. The second thing is that I didn't want to walk. I wanted to run the whole time. I didn't want to stop at any time to walk. And if I could, my hope would be that I could finish the race in less than four hours. That was my bucket list. Those were my challenges. I trained really hard. There were three of us that ran this race together. One of the things they told us is don't start too fast. It doesn't matter how many people are running out ahead of you. Keep a pace that you know that you can keep. And I just thought, absolutely, I can do that. It was really easy until this old lady with blue hair blew by me. And I'm just thinking, how do I not run to try to keep up with her or to catch her? But I didn't. I kept the pace. Bob, run your race. But it's just interesting is you go through the race, you start to watch people come back to you. You start to watch people quit. You start to watch people step to the side. And probably one of the most challenging pieces for me was when one of my friends, one of the three of us, his legs cramped so bad that he had to stop running. And we all wanted to finish together. We wanted to finish this race together, but I had to let him go because it was my goal to finish the race. And I can still remember what it was like at the very end of that race. I had ran the whole thing and I ran into this chute and they gave me this little cheesy wooden medallion that told me what place it was that I had finished overall. Do you know what place I finished overall? I have no idea. I don't even remember because that wasn't even my goal. I just wanted to finish. Sometimes just finishing the race is the greatest victory of all. That's the heart behind this new series of 2 Timothy. That's what Paul wants us to understand. That's what he was writing to young Timothy. He wants him to know, Timothy, you've got to fight 
to the finish. Here's how Paul said it in his own words in 2 Timothy 4, 7. It's at the end of the book, but it's gonna shape everything that we think about in this series together. Paul says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Sometimes it is just a fight to maintain our faith, isn't it? In this world that we live in. And the truth is, is that not everybody finishes well. Most people don't even finish. You've probably seen that in your own life. There may have been a season of your life when you and a group of people around you, maybe it was family members, maybe it was friends that were running this race together, following after Jesus together, but now some of them are no longer following after Jesus. They didn't finish the race. And maybe for you, that's you right now. You've experienced those times of stepping out of the race. And maybe you're just stepping back in now. And maybe some of you are like right on the edge right now. I'm just about ready to throw in the towel. Paul would say, fight the good fight. Finish well. You know, what's interesting too is not all pastors finish well. As Brian and I were talking about this, we were commenting on the fact that he's got a whole shelf on his library, books written by men that at one point in his life, they were worthy enough for, Brian respected them enough to read what they wrote. But he calls it his saved by grace shelf because for one reason or another, they have shipwrecked their faith. Some of them morally, some of them theologically, but they're no longer running the race. In this last season, more pastors have left the pastor than at any other season in American history. And the most recent statistic that I saw just a couple of months ago says that 39% of pastors are considering leaving their job right now. Doesn't mean maybe that they're gonna walk away from Jesus, but they're walking away from their calling. It's difficult to finish well, to keep running there were some t- statistics that I saw by the Barna Group that said this, an increase in church dropouts in 2011, and this is just one demographic, 18 to 29-year-olds, it says that 59% of 18 to 29-year-olds will not make it to their 30th birthday still following Jesus. And we see in 2019, years later, that number is only increasing. What is this telling us? It is difficult to finish well. But there's one thing I love about what the Barna Group did. They did a counter study to that study. They said if two-thirds of people are dropping out in their faith, what about the other third? What about those that hold on to their faith, that continue to fight the good fight? What is true of them? So I began to read some of the study, and this is why I share this with you. As I began to read that book, that explains that study. And I was also studying the book of 2 Timothy. I see that they overlap. The principles that keep young people in their faith. And it's not just about young people, it's all people. But the principles that keep them in their faith are the same things that Paul is saying in his book of 2 Timothy. It just reminds me that this book, the Bible, it is timeless. It speaks to all generations at all times. But I also feel like this book right now, 2 Timothy, is timely, especially for us as a church. 
Because we want to be a church of the next generation. We want to pass the baton of faith to those that are coming behind us. But it's going to be a fight. And Paul tells young Timothy, these are the things that you need to know. These are the things that you need to understand. These are the things that you need to do if you're going to finish the race well. And as you approach any book of the Bible, you've got to step back just a little bit to try to understand a little bit of the background. What is the historical background? What is the biblical background? What is the context of what's been written? This is Paul's letter that he writes to young Timothy, his son in the faith. It was someone that he had invested a significant portion of his life into the life of Timothy. But where we find this letter being written by Paul, tough times have hit Paul. Paul finds himself in prison. And now Paul had multiple imprisonments throughout his life and his ministry, but this one is different. This isn't a house arrest in Rome. This is a dungeon in Rome. Dark and dank, just a little hole in the ceiling to give him a little bit of light, a little bit of air. Things are not looking good for him. Paul knows this is the end of the road. He's already had his court hearing and he knows what's coming. He's gonna be executed. He's lonely. Paul is absolutely lonely because everyone has deserted him. The only person that's still with him is Luke. Everyone else has abandoned. They've been ashamed and embarrassed of Paul's life and imprisonment, and they didn't want the same for them, and so they abandoned him, abandoned the faith. And so as Paul writes this letter to young Timothy, he's got in the back of his mind, is Timothy gonna leave too? Is Timothy gonna abandon me? Is he gonna abandon the faith? And everything in him, he's just telling Timothy, fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith. Now, where this letter is sent to is sent to Timothy in the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is where Paul did the longest time of any time that he spent in any one city was in the city of Ephesus. We see in the book of Acts, when he leaves, there was just a tearful goodbye. These were people that meant so much to him. But when he left, he put young Timothy in charge. Things have not gone well for Timothy. Things in the church have deteriorated and Timothy is having a difficult time pastoring this church. There were all kinds of desertions. There were other people in and around the life of Timothy that wanted to sabotage what he was doing. And there were false teachers. They were teaching things that weren't true about Jesus. It was a tough spot for Timothy and Paul knows it. And so this whole letter to Timothy is about helping him see why it is that he should not quit. And that's what forms the backdrop for all of the things that we're gonna learn. As Paul writes to Timothy, there's things that he wants him to know, there's things that he wants him to do. Because Timothy, you've gotta do these things if you're gonna finish well. And friends, the reason that I think this is timely is because we need to hear them too. We wanna do the things in our faith, in our life, in our race that will help us to finish well. We're gonna be looking at just the introduction today, the first seven verses of chapter one, where Paul tells Timothy two things you gotta keep your eye on if you're gonna finish well. And the first thing that he tells Timothy that he needs is people. Timothy, you need people. Second Timothy chapter one, 
starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Here's his greeting to Timothy, my dear son. It was his son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now just listen as I read these next words. Listen to them. Listen to the tone of this. Listen to what Paul is saying from the depths of his heart, the love, the concern, the endearment for this person that he's invested his life in. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. And he says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Timothy's sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul says, I know what you've got. You've got a sincere faith. But Timothy, if you are gonna maintain a sincere faith, To the very end, you've got to have people in your life. That's what Paul's talking about. Timothy had people. He had Paul, a mentor that gave of his life, that gave of his heart to him. And he had family, a spiritual family around him, a mom and a grandma. Now, not every one of us has family that walk with Jesus, but we've got a spiritual family that God wants us to walk with to help us keep the faith, fight the good fight. This is why I believe this is so important. I wanna cite some of that study from the Barna Group because when they did that counter study, they were asking like, what are the traits? What are the things that are true of people that finish well in their faith? One of the greatest discoveries that they made in all of their thousands upon thousands of interviews, it was about strong relationships in the church. Strong relationships within the church add to resilient faith in young adults. I love that word, resilient faith. Faith that is gonna make it to the end. Now I wanna read to you just a handful of statements that they made. And the people that had, these people that made it to 30 years old, these young people that had their faith intact, a vibrant faith, There were these list of statements that they said, I strongly agree with that. I want to share those with you. I want to read them to you. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to sit back and think about your own life. When I read these, would you be able to say, I strongly agree with that? That is absolutely true of me. Because if these things aren't true of our life, there needs to be some red flags going off. Because these are the things that are going to make our faith Resilient. It is all about people. Statements like this. The church is a place where I feel I belong. This sense like when I show up here, these are my people. Is that true of you? Secondly, there is someone in my life who encourages me to grow spiritually. Not at a distance, but up close and personal. There's someone that is helping me, encouraging me. A third thing, I am connected to a community of Christians. 
That's why we talk about all the time going from rows to circles. We need people around us in close proximity. When growing up, I had close personal friends who were adults from my church, parish, or faith community. You hear what that's saying? That it's not about us just hanging out with people that are just like us. It's intergenerational. Looking at the generation below us, looking at the generation ahead of us and saying we need to learn and to grow together in our faith. This one was challenging to me. I admire the faith of my parents. It's not saying, do my parents have faith or do my parents drag me to church? Asking, do I look at the faith of my parents and say, I want that for my life. That is believable to me. The last one, I feel emotionally close to someone at my church. Those are the things that are true of people that make it just even out of their 30s but are gonna have the wherewithal, have what it takes to finish well in their faith. And it's so obvious, friends, we need people. And that's what Paul is trying to point out again to Timothy. Timothy, you need me. You need someone like me, night and day, praying for you, giving of my life to you. Timothy needed a Paul in his life. But so do you. So do I. We need someone who's a little bit further down the road than us. Not someone with a perfect life, but someone that is willing to invest in our life, that's willing to mentor us the way that Paul mentored Timothy. And oftentimes when I say this idea of mentor, I don't mean something that is incredibly formal. It can be incredibly informal, but it needs to be intentional. It needs to be intentional in the sense that there's life on life. We get the opportunity to look into the life of another person because real life is the laboratory for mentorship. And like I said, it doesn't have to be a perfect life, but it's a life that's willing to open up the curtains and say, here's the good and the bad and the ugly of all that I am and all that I've learned. Sometimes the greatest things that we learn are from the most difficult things that we've ever gone through in life. You don't have to be a perfect person to be a mentor. You just need to be a real person. And here's what I know to be true based on experience. As I just shared that idea of mentoring, there are more people in this room that the thought in their head right now is, I want or I need a mentor. There's more people that are saying that than there are people in this room right now that are saying, I would love to be a mentor for another person. I know that to be true. And this is what that means. This is what the problem creates. If you want to have a mentor in your life, don't wait for something to happen. Don't assume that someone's just going to walk up to you in the lobby or walk up to you in this room and say, I want to mentor you. You've got to take the initiative. But it is life-changing. It is absolutely life-changing. There was a handful of years ago where for different reasons, the people that had kind of been mentoring me in my life had all kind of moved on in this season, and I knew that I needed help. And I began to pray, and it didn't happen quickly, but I began to pray over a, a season of time. And I just had my antenna up like, God, would you bring somebody into my life that would just help me walk out my faith? And it was a Bobcat basketball game, and I got introduced 
to this man. And I kind of knew him by reputation. He was relatively new to Bozeman. But I just thought, I'm going to take a risk. So I asked him for his number. I said, could we go grab a cup of coffee? And I just sat down with him. And I just asked him questions about faith. And I might have overstepped my bounds a little bit, but I remember going home and I told Carmen when I got home, I said, that relationship's gonna change my life. Met with him one time. I'll tell you this, that relationship has changed my life. Not only is he a mentor in my life, one of the greatest encouragers, one of the greatest challengers, he's one of my closest friends, but I had to take the initiative. And friends, if you wanna find the kind of help that you need to finish well, you're gonna have to take the initiative as well. So here's what I'm asking you to do. If that's you, take it seriously. And would you pray? Would you just say, God, would you bring someone into my life and get your antennas up? You never know who it might be. Start to ask people, who's got a marriage around this church that is one that I would want to emulate? And if somebody says them, reach out to them. Ask them if you can have a cup of coffee with them. Here's a little bit of a pro tip. This is what I'm gonna tell you not to say to the person. Don't ask this person or couple, will you mentor me? Because here's what's gonna happen. Here's what's gonna go through their mind. They're gonna think, I don't even know what that means for sure, but it sounds like it's gonna take a lot of time. I don't have a lot of time. And actually, I don't even know if I have a lot of expertise in this. So they're likely to be a little bit resistant. Don't ask them to be your mentor. Just ask them this. Can I meet with you over a cup of coffee? And can I ask you a few questions? You take the responsibility. What do you want to grow in? What do you want to learn? And you go there with your questions. And you ask. And you receive from them. And if it goes well, ask for another cup of coffee. And here's what I want to say. If there are people around you, I wish I could say yes every time that someone asks me to do this. But if you get asked to do this, say yes. Just say yes. Even if you think, I don't know what I have to offer, just say yes. See what God would do. It was so fun. Just as I was writing this sermon, got a text from a guy that I hadn't seen for years. I met him when he was a football player at MSU, and he just said, can we just get together? I've got some questions. I want to seek a little wisdom from you on some things. And so I just, I just said yes. And I'm excited. Next week, I'm going to have the opportunity. I don't even know what his questions are. But here's what I know. I've probably got something to offer him. And so do you. You have something to offer other people. I know that that's true. And here's the promise that I can make you. Mentoring people, investing in people, oftentimes we think it's about what God does in them through you. I will promise you this. God will do things in you beyond what you would have ever believed could be true. It's that idea of iron sharpens iron. You will be sharpened if you take the time to invest in another person. We need a Paul in our life, but you also need a Timothy in your life. Who can invest in you, but who can you invest in? Because that's what it's gonna take for us to finish well in our faith. We need people. We need people to help us. That's the first thing that Paul told young Timothy. The second thing that Paul tells Timothy that he needs 
is power. If you're going to be strong, Timothy, you need power. But he makes it really clear to Timothy, it's not your power. It's my power in you. It's God's power in you. This is what Paul said to Timothy, continuing in verse 6. He said, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. You need power. You need power if you're gonna fight the good fight, if you're gonna finish the race. It's interesting, you know, you think about young Timothy, and oftentimes, I just think so often when we read about biblical characters, we just kind of imagine that they've got it all together, that they're these larger-than-life characters. What I love about how the Bible paints the picture of Timothy is that it paints him warts and all, everything about him. It talks about the reality that Timothy was young. And earlier in the first book that Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, don't let people look down on you, Timothy, because you're young, but be an example to people. Timothy was young. He was inexperienced. He was green. He was in over his head trying to lead this church in Ephesus. And even on a practical, practical sense, Timothy had health issues, chronic health issues, where Paul is telling him in 1 Timothy, drink a little wine and not just water for your stomach because of all of your continued illnesses. He had chronic health issues. And we learn from lots of different places in 2 Timothy and other places that Timothy, his natural personality was timid. He tended to be fearful and passive, stepping back, not always stepping in to leadership. Timothy was not a natural. And Paul helps us understand that because what we need to hear and what Timothy needed to hear from Paul is that Timothy, even though you've got these things that may feel like a hindrance to your leadership, Timothy, hear me, it is not about you. Timothy, it is not about who you are it is only about whose you are. Timothy, you belong to him. You are his. And it's also about who, Timothy, is in you. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the indwelling Holy Spirit, God's presence living in us and through us. Timothy, that's where your strength comes from. If you just look at what you bring to the table, Timothy, it's not much. But when you think about the fact that God is in you, God plus the Spirit in you conquers all things. Timothy, it's not about who you are. It is about who is in you. Friends, this just gives me so much courage because all throughout the Scripture, just, just, just read the pages of it. God continually, he uses nobodies. He uses nobodies because when you know that you're nobody, when you know that you don't have what it takes, it puts you in a place of incredible dependence. 
And that's where God can show up. And God can use you beyond anything that you would ever have imagined. You know, the most dangerous place to be is thinking that you're somebody. Because people that think they're somebody, they're not dependent. And God says over and over in scripture that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Who is it that he lifts up and works through? It's those that know that they're nobody. And it's only about God working through them. I was hanging out with a friend recently and someone who's considering maybe a a transition in life that would take him into a more vocational ministry. And in the midst of that conversation, a couple times, he said, I'm just not sure that I'm qualified. And as he said that, it just started to wrestle in the back of my head. And I said to him, the fact that you think maybe that you're not qualified is the best question to answer because that's what makes you qualified. God doesn't call people that are qualified. God qualifies through the power of his spirit those that are called. It is never about us. It's only about him and his Holy Spirit working through us. But we do have a role. It's not like we just stand there and say, God, use me. I'm just gonna stand here. You just do what you need to do. I'm just gonna sit here passively. There's a role that we have. And Paul tells Timothy, it's about fanning into flame the gift of God. That's our role. We have the spirit in our life. And with the indwelling spirit, the scripture tells us we have gifts that God intends for us to use, to love and to serve one another. Maybe those gifts are big. Maybe they're small. I don't know. But what Paul says to Timothy is, fan it into flame. You know what that's like when an ember and you blow on it and it bursts into flame. That's what Paul is telling Timothy to do over and over again. The verb tense that he uses there is a a present tense that means it's ongoing. It's now, it's now, it's now. He's saying, Timothy, never let there be a time that you are not fanning into flame the spirit of God and the gifts that he's given you to serve others. Because Timothy, that's what's gonna get you through. That's gonna help you finish to the end. What are the gifts that God has given you? What are those gifts and abilities and how do you believe that God wants you to use them? I think those are great questions and if you don't know the answer to that question, don't come back before next, I don't mean don't come back before next week. What I mean is take it seriously this week to answer that question so that you know, I think this is what God has gifted me with and this is how I think. I can use that to serve and to love the people of my church. Love and power and self-discipline. And what always happens is that stretches us. We grow. We grow when we give our gifts to others. If we think it's just about them, we're, we're missing it. It not only fans the spirit into flame, it fans our faith into flame. Loving and serving others causes our faith to grow. 
God's calling you to do something. And maybe, if it, maybe it's even huge. Maybe you just think it's beyond me. Maybe you're saying to yourself, I sense that God wants me to do this, but I'm not qualified. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called through the power of his Holy Spirit. There's a reason why I said I think that this book is not only timeless, I believe it's timely for us as a church because we think about the next generation. We think about what it looks like to pass the baton of faith to the next generation. We need to be a church where those that are older, that have walked with Jesus longer than I've been alive are thinking about how can I invest into younger leaders And those younger leaders thinking about how can I invest into younger leaders, into our college students. I love when I hear Logan talk about what's happening in and around our students and our kids, college students that are investing in high school students, high school students that are investing in middle school students, middle school students and and other kids, grade school kids that are junior leaders down in our base camp. They've got this idea of I pass the baton of faith to the next generation. That's what it's going to take, church, for us to be a church that finishes well. And Paul's just saying over and over to Timothy, it's going to take people. You're going to need to get people around you. Church, you need to have people around you if you're going to finish your faith well. And you need to have power. Not your power, God's power. If you're gonna fight the good fight, if you're gonna finish the race. And Paul would say to you what he's saying to Timothy, don't quit. Just don't quit. Keep running the race. In the late 1800s, there was a world champion boxer, one of the greatest boxers of all time. His name was John L. Sullivan. He held the heavyweight championship for almost a decade. He was the last person to hold the heavyweight champion in bare-knuckled boxing. Tough. But he was also the first champion in gloved boxing. John L. Sullivan only lost one fight ever. And he lost that fight to a man named Gentleman Jim Corbett. And it was on September 7th, 1892, Corbett and Sullivan went 21 rounds. And not only did Corbett win the fight, he knocked out one of the greatest fighters of all time, John L. Sullivan. Here's a little tidbit. Corbett took all of the prize money and he gave it to his church. That's a generosity rock star right there. But I want to tell you about Jim Corbett's fight before that. Before that most famous fight. He was fighting a crosstown rival. They were in San Francisco. His crosstown rival was a black man, Peter Black Prince Jackson. You know what made that fight so memorable? That fight went 60 one rounds, 61 rounds. And you know who won? Nobody. 
It was a no contest. It was a draw. It was a tie. Like nothing was settled after 61 rounds. Who fights for 61 rounds? Jim Corbett does. Jim Corbett does because this was his life motto. Fight one more round. Here's a quote from him. Fight one more round. When your arms are so tired that you can hardly lift your hands to come on guard, fight one more round. When your nose is bleeding and your eyes are black and you are so tired that you wish, you wish your opponent would crack you one on the jaw and put you to sleep, fight one more round. Remembering that the man who always stays to fight one more round is never whipped. That's how Corbett said it. Paul said the same thing in a different way. He said, fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. Keeping the faith, friends, It is not about not getting knocked down. You are going to get knocked down. Keeping the faith is about getting back up when you've been knocked down. Finishing, fighting the good fight is about coming out of the corner in the 61st round when you've got nothing left. Fight the good fight. I know I know because I talk with people, there are people in this room right now, you are up against the ropes in the 61st round wondering, can I fight another round? You got a marriage that is falling apart and you just think, I can't do this anymore. Fight another round. I know that there are some of you that have addictions that are just grabbing you by the throat and pulling you down. Don't give up. Fight another round. Some of you have wayward children and you're praying and you're praying. Pray one more prayer. Fight another round. Some of you have gotten health reports. They're just damaging your soul. Fight one more round. Some of you have broken relationships, loneliness, anxiety, depression, things that are bringing heartache and despair and a complete loss of hope. Fight another round. I feel like I just want to say, I don't want want this message, I don't want this series to be just a pep talk. I don't want this to be somehow we're going to try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. That's not what 2 Timothy is about. It's about us fighting with each other and for each other so that we can finish the life of faith together. Fight the good fight. Don't fight alone and don't fight in your own strength. You need people and you need power. Let me close with the words of the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy 4. Verses seven and eight. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. 
I've kept the faith. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness. With the Lord, the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. What Paul's saying, you can end your life in a dungeon. This life isn't always about happily ever after. But what Paul is saying here is it's about happily ever hereafter. It's worth the fight. It's worth the fight to finish well. Let's pray. Jesus, we just acknowledge that in every way, we need you. And Jesus, we know that we need each other. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would begin to move in and through our church. You would give us a vision for how we invest our life, how we invest our time in people. God, I pray for those that this week are gonna take it seriously enough to begin to ask you if there's a mentor, if there's someone out there that can help them walk this life of faith. Holy Spirit, bring people to their mind. God, I pray that you would stir in the hearts of people if they get asked to mentor someone that they would just say yes because they would know that it's worth it. It's worth investing in the next generation. Holy Spirit, we have nothing to offer except you moving in and through us. Finishing well isn't difficult. We acknowledge it's impossible. And it's only Jesus as you live your life through us in the power of the Holy Spirit that we have any shot of making a difference and finishing well. But we ask you to do that. We want to finish well. And Jesus, it's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.